0: Hi there, I'm Christian Reinders, Chief IP Counsel of the Drexelmeyer Group, and you are listening to IP Fridays.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more.
2: Welcome to episode 116 of IP Fridays. Today's interview guest is Christian Reinders. Chief IP counsel of the Drexelmeyer Group, a larger automotive supplier, and you will be surprised what you can learn in today's interview. Before we jump into the interview, I have some news for you. The Administrative Council of the European Patent Office has decided that evidence can now be taken by video conference. So, for example, witnesses can now be heard in oral proceedings uh, via video conference. And I also stumbled over a very interesting report of the EU IPO, the EU Intellectual Property Office, titled Trends in Trade in Counterfeit and Pirated Goods. From this report we learned that still about 80% of all custom seizures, by the number of seizures, um, for counterfeit goods come from China or Hong Kong. The next largest source of counterfeit goods is Turkey with about 6% and all other countries of origin are about 3 or less percent by the number of custom seizures. The overall value of all fake products imported into the EU were about 121 billion euros in 2016 which is about 134 billion US dollars. And that makes up about 6.8% of all EU imports. So quite a significant number. The main origins of fakes coming into the EU are China and Hong Kong, and then United Arab Emirates and Turkey. So, now let's jump into the interview with Christian Reinders. Today's interview guest is Christian Reinders. He is currently serving as chief IP counsel of Drexelmeyer Group, an automotive supplier with 75,000 employees worldwide, so, one of the larger ones and he has been he has an interesting career he has been in-house and in private practice so he knows both sides of the story basically <laughs> and he's also teaching young ip professionals and is currently um, serving on the he's member of the eqe examination committee so he's uh, looking after all the young european patent attorneys thank you for being on the show
0: Thank you very much, Rolf. Uh, It's a pleasure and and thank you very much for the invitation. It's very much appreciated. Thank you.
2: Yes, we have a couple of very interesting topics, very diverse topics today. And um, let's start with uh, one uh, fundamental basic question. Uh, When we talked earlier um, last week, the most important question for you and where it all boils down to is why? Uh, we both know the famous ted talk of simon sinek and uh, but i'm not clear how this can really apply to ip to intellectual property
0: (laughs) thank you very much for your for your question um the overall topic i think of of this podcast is about strategy and especially the question why are you doing what you are doing or more precisely what should you doing and um, this is really something which resonates i think with with why of simon simek that we as human beings are always inspired by a sense of purpose and what are we doing and this is for me let's say one one of the really basic questions also in in the patent world Um, at least for me it has two aspects the first aspect is basically for myself so you know i know it might sound a little bit selfish but um we all want to know why we are going to work and what uh, what we are doing and uh, we all want to have a good feeling if we drive home from from work so that's the first aspect but the second one i think is is um also very very important because only if you understand why are you doing things you also can convince and talk with other people, especially if you're working in-house with other departments, always your clients and and so on. And this really, really is for, for for from my perspective one of the main important questions if you're especially um, interested in in strategy. For example, you find in a lot of companies so-called KPIs, key performance indicators. Um, very often, it is the number of invention disclosures. Um, within a year or the number of patent filings. But if you really ask the question, how does it help to um, progress within the company? How does it really help this kind of number for for the company? You might end up um, with the question, why is it? And then very often you don't get any answer because it is very often mentioned. These are numbers defined years maybe decades ago and everybody's just following following these numbers um and so i think on one hand it's it's very very important to just keep in mind Yeah, you have to monitor and track your work but and then this this is again the question why is really the number of inventions disclosures, is really the number of patent filings in a year or maybe 10% more than compared to the last year, really one uh, one indicator which helps you with your with your why. Um, for example, I think and that was luckily confirmed also by the board of management at Drexelmeier, when I started I questioned this kind of indicators and asked do they really support your different various business models and different technology segments. And um, interestingly, the room felt completely silent. For me, it was really this, okay, so are these kind of KPIs really what we need? And then, you know, it's really going, go, going forward from that and then trying to find what are the KPIs or what kind of patent portfolio do you need in the future? So this is for me, one of the aspects and then the other one again, um, I think if you find your why you can convince and take other people, especially other departments on board and ask them, okay, do you support this? Do you understand that? Um, Again, just a minor question from, from my present work. So again, when I started, I asked, are these filing numbers, are these numbers of invention disclosures, really helpful for the company and um, um it became very very quickly clear that these are probably just in this kind of general aspects probably not and um as a consequence um at Drexelmeyer, we don't have these traditional KPIs like number of patent filings or number of um, invention disclosures uh, received within a year. Um, Instead, um, I um, agreed with my management um, targets like um, number of FTOs, so freedom to operate searches, um, the rate of grant of patents versus um, the number of filings, and also some kind of internal, um, I would call it custom feedback, so various uh, in particular, development departments, but also sales departments, are asked how um, um, satisfied are they with the um, with the work of the patent department. So these are now, let's say, KPIs I I defined um, with the um, board of management. And what is also important to keep in mind that I prepared and. Um, explained this why also to to other departments, um, especially, for example, to the financial department. I think one of the really underestimated departments you, you need to um, try to take on board if you work in a patent department, because, for example, what happened if these KPIs, number of invention disclosures, um, and number of patent filings uh, were dropped is that we experienced a significant drop in the number of invention disclosures and patent filings. Um, the reason were obviously um, low quality, and um, you know the normal incentive just signing, uh, just just filing an invention disclosure, three sentence, a line. This is an invention disclosure. You get your incentive, and it, it's done, and it's it's a number, and everything was fine and um we as mentioned experienced a and significant drop more than fifty percent um invention disclosures are less uh, we receive now fifty percent less invention disclosures compared to for example two thousand sixteen, but with a better quality and also the number of patent filings is now on on a level two third compared to two thousand sixteen now, why is also in this situation a why important um because i took the financial department on board and they w- were aware that okay there is a drop in in this numbers and so on then it was clear that they can't let's say chase me and say okay now you only get 50 percent of your budget and um uh, happy happy day for you so it was very very important to um to explain also these steps to financial departments in particular for for this question take them all on board and this is again a very very good um, um, point really to think seriously about your why
2: yes your work becomes much more efficient um, this way Um, i have i had one idea Uh, you were uh, talking about the kpis that are important and i thought hmm, uh, can also be the oppositions that you receive from your competitors be a good KPI? So I think my thinking was that maybe your patent portfolio would be more interesting to your competition when they file more more oppositions or more dangerous for your competition, let's say.
0: <laughs> I think it's a wonderful idea. And and I tell you what <laughs> I exactly thought about this. Um, also maybe thinking about um, defining this as a target for, for my patent attorneys. Um, I think it's, it might be a good measure for, for big patent portfolios. However, we only have a very small patent portfolio. It's around 1,100 patent families. And, you know, thinking also about where could be the flaws of this KPI. Um, I quickly came up with the idea. So what will I do if I get this target? And I just thought, okay, maybe I would ask some of my friends to file some straw men <laughs> <of position laughs> to just raise a number of uh, right. oppositions against my own patent. So, um, you know, that. That was one idea, so um, yeah. I'm just kidding now, but um, you know, if you define this KPI, and that was, I think um, for me, also one of the, let's say, harder um, harder experience, if you're thinking about new KPIs um, um, as an alternative to the traditional one, you have to really think deeply about what kind of KPI do you need, how do they assist your why, how do you um um help you to benchmark yourself how to help you to monitor what you want to achieve with your patent portfolio
2: yes I actually had um, an idea about the strawman idea <laughs> uh, because uh, when you litigate patents uh, you can be more successful as a lit as a, um, a plaintiff uh, when the patent already survived opposition or kind of revocation proceedings. So it might be an interesting idea to provoke basically uh, oppositions. But uh, yes, I didn't uh, put this into life yet. <laughs> 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 I could say no comments. <laughs> <laughs> no comments, right. So I have a completely different uh, question and now uh, to co- something completely different uh, in the words of Monty Python. <laughs> Um so you are also a member of the IP commercialization committee of the Chartered Institute of Patent Attorneys in the UK and you lived in the UK
0: for a while why <laughs> your favorite question <laughs> <laughs> um, coming coming back to you know this question regarding why and why are traditional kpis known in the business um maybe appropriate or maybe not appropriate and for me let's say the really i wouldn't say frightening but very concerning topic is as soon as you question number of patent filings the number of invention disclosures um you feel or at least I felt a little bit left like in the desert because there's nothing around so a lot of patent patent departments are run by KPIs like number of patent applications and and you you drill it down to, to each patent attorney and they have to do blah 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 and so on and if you ask yourself does it really help the company and does it really Um, help you to build up a strategy or or assisting the the business model. Um, you, you very quickly are in completely uncharted border and especially these kind of committees, uh, committees, sorry, um, and and also um, having this kind of access to um, the Anglo-American world where patent portfolios sometimes also um, managed and optimized in a little bit different way than in Europe. It really helped me to, let's say, build up a small network where I can discuss with people. Do you think, does it make sense to focus on um, for example, number of FTOs and so on. And I think that is really, really important, um, especially if you want to divert from a, a little bit traditional um, way and, and do things a little bit differently. Um, you need for yourself uh, this kind of confidence that you want to try right track. Because um, don't forget, uh, we are, let's say, dealing with... Um, very important assets for a company, and um, they are very important assets not only now, but especially um, with this time delay. In three, five years' time, it is it is it is branded, and if you make a mistake now, um, it maybe this has has no impact immediately, but in three to five years' time, it might have a very very big negative impact on the company. And um, yeah, that that's what I definitely want to avoid. So yes. this network is very, very important to have some kind of discussions. How do you things and so on? And um, that's basically the reason and I loved London, yeah. I must admit.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, at SIPA, you are teaching uh, young professionals about patent strategy, as you already mentioned. Um, maybe can you give our listeners like the Im- most important takeaways that you try to communicate to your students there?
0: I think, and this resonates, I think, very well, again, with the initial question, why? Try to understand your company and your client. So every company is different. Every client is different. It's different technologies. It's um, a different... um, um company structures sometimes you have this kind of silo structures where for example i actually work in in the automotive industry which means it is very traditional there's an r&d department there's a sales department there's a procurement department and so on there is some kind of flow of information but not very often so each department is doing um things maybe separately maybe maybe differently and um to understand that and to identify the stakeholder within, within the departments who are maybe patent-minded and maybe who are not patent-minded is, is is um, I think, very, very important. And then um, also, um, for example, if you have this kind of silo structure really to understand um, what kind of impact not only building up your own portfolio might have on your company, um, Another aspect, I think, is very often also um, slipped a little bit under the carpet is the risk of um, third-party patents and also thinking about what kind of risk um, um, may have an impact on your company, not only on R&D, but in particular on sales. And again, if you have this kind of silo structure, how to teach and how to raise the the IP awareness in departments, which are maybe not so closely linked to R&D as for example, we, we in in a traditional way as patent attorneys have this very close links to. What we experience at the moment already is um, that especially during contract negotiations between us as a tier one supplier and the OEMs, these questions regarding have you searched for third party patents and so on now crops up. Um, more and more and um, at the moment we experience a lot of demand from our sales department interestingly um, who came to us and say we had this question regarding patent searches uh, we have done something do we need to do something and so on and this is now something um, an issue I think um, where we have to look very closely into it and that is also the reason why now we as a patent department are much more involved in contract uh, negotiation and contract management than before because all these questions also about background ip foreground ip licensing to OEMs, and so on um are very very um important and so from my perspective this is now at least you know some 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 kind of further support let's say for our idea to Um, raising the IP awareness and we also use this kind of questions very often then now for training that's basically um, about that do you think that this principle of uh, standard essential patents can be also
2: applied to other areas of technology so not telecommunications uh, or related technology areas but maybe also production and manufacturing Um, and if yes what challenges do you see there
0: i think there's a really high potential in this kind of of business model um and Personally, I think in the future we will see maybe in various technology segments, even in one company, very different business IP business uh, models. So maybe in one sector it's really um, standard essential patent licensing um, and the other one is traditional one and maybe the other one is just freedom to operate. Um, So I think this really has an impact, especially also as a kind of general business model for for companies um what well we at the moment try um and this is m- uh, definitely one of the challenges uh try to maybe adapt this kind of model into other areas so for example grexon is um, um um involved in assembling this wire harnesses so this one or two kilometer cable uh, which is placed in into a car and you have also various standards for this cable like ethernet and all these different standards in, in the cable industry and we also have now some, some internal discussions about okay so what are the benefits maybe to joining this kind of standard to contribute to the standard and um, that is I think um something we will see in the future also in, in various other aspects um, having said that um one really major obstacle and and really challenge for this is obviously you needed an infrastructure for that so it doesn't really end up that you have one or two engineers sending them, let's say once a year to a a standard uh, committee and saying, okay, we we have this fine technology and coming back. So you need really this kind of infrastructure, this kind of flow of information about strategy, uh, what happens in the standard committee, building up the patent portfolio, which is then mirrored um, again to, to all the other departments. And I think this is really, really the challenge. And especially, you know, if you come from this, um, again, silo structure, very traditional um, company structure where this flow of information between department is, 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 let's say, not so agile, let's say, as, for example, in a new software startup company. So I think this is something we will see. And I definitely um, think that the, one of the first companies who managed to implement this also maybe in other technical fields will have a significant advantage.
2: Yes, uh, I think so. So, be on the forefront. <laughs> but you are. So, that's
0: good. <laughs> uh, again, so at the moment we are only discussing. So, <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: Of course. <laughs> but it's a very interesting idea, I think. Um, To uh, have this uh, principle applied to other technological fields, right? So um, finally, uh, as my last topic, maybe the hottest topic (laughs) um, uh, that is more that becomes increasingly important: uh, big data or data. Um, So OEMs increasingly want to gather the data from their customers and um, ask you to the to help them basically. so, what is your take on this topic use of data by the oems and you helping them together the data
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think data is really one of the really underestimated um I- ip topics at the moment um, because you see two let's say major drivers one is an internal driver and one is an external driver so as mentioned, the external driver is um, especially if you read now the the new contract um, draft from from the OAMs always data now crops up it's it's all about we want to have access to your data um and it it's 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 not only you know uh, on what day a specific product was produced no it, it really goes very often now down to what was the temperature what was the pressure of this um specific product so it it will become i think A kind of liability and warranty issues in the future because with this kind of data you might drill down and and identify okay something went wrong in the production and then you can maybe identify this very very specifically. Um, The internal driver obviously is um, quality and improving processes so you might have heard about the concept digital twin um, which is that you mirror every product you produce in a kind of software model and then doing some kind of um, simulation and, and uh, making kind of forecast how the digital twin hopefully um, develops exactly like the analog twin um, plus um, another i think very very important issue is um, trainings data um, sets for AI models, so um, that is also something which I think is a little bit underestimated. Also uh, during the discussion with AI, because you know I'm I'm definitely not an expert, but if you speak to AI experts, they they always um, um, mention that setting up an AI network itself so how many layers how many neurons and so on you can probably determine it very easily with a kind of algorithm and it's used and um, for me this is basically still this kind of normal computer implemented um, algorithm which which uh, should be technical enough of or course according to the European um, um, case law um, an additional course an additional technical effect. Um, the same is for the learning algorithm back propagation forward propagation and so on and if you asked um, an AI expert, they normally mention the time I spent on designing and uh, designing and developing the, the the network and thinking about the algorithm and implementing it it's 20% percent of my time. Mm-hmm. 80% of my time I spend on generating the training data set and so on and so on and so on, um, which is, from my perspective, interesting to think about that probably with patent law at the moment, you only can protect 20% of the work and um, 80% of the work is data and, and nobody's looking in. Plus, um, but that's now a very, very personal opinion. If you have a very generic patent claim, just just claiming method for let's say detecting number plates using an ai model i sometimes ask myself is this sufficiently disclosed yes <laughs> and so i think data um and, and data to be honest already play an important role and in, in chemical and and especially pharmaceutical um, patent applications and may be patent um but You know i'm I'm not really an expert are also relevant for for this um various patent topics which um, might be very very important also future uh, business models for for um, companies but nevertheless um i think that especially we as patent attorneys with this background and legal and uh, technology uh, we are very very fit for purpose and can bring a lot of to the table uh, also about these other topics like like data or legal clearings of open source software or things like that
2: Mm. yeah it will be very difficult uh, or i i'm I'm looking forward to see successful patent applications in the ai field where the data sets are sufficiently disclosed (laughs) so it's really difficult because these data sets are huge and probably it will end up like with the dna uh, patent applications where you have to have a huge appendix with all the sequences of the dna and now you have huge with, uh, appendices with the appendices with uh, data sets let's see let's see how uh, the patent professionals solve this problem with a uh, sufficient disclosure in ai <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. This has been a really, really interesting and valuable interview, and I'm sure our guests uh, profit a lot from listening. Um, if our listeners still have questions for you, uh, can they reach you somehow? Or yes, what would be uh, the best way to get in touch with you if they have questions?
0: If they have questions, um, I'm uh, you. You can find me on LinkedIn um definitely and um you can also drop me an email address um which is um christian like like the religion dot r-a-e-n-d-e-r-s at drexelmeier which is dot com.
2: thank you so much thank you very much for being on the show
0: it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for the invitation and hopefully it was uh, helpful for 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 your listeners. Thank you very much.
2: I am 100% sure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, bye-bye.
1: That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com/love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at slash feedback Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to slash itunes and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.